Hello, everybody. Hey, we made it. Uh, I'm Dave Palmer, and I, I get to be a part of our community as um, our college uh, ministry director. And i um, really grateful to get to um, be with you all this morning, whether you're here in person or with us online. Um, man, what a, what a strange, um, what a week it's been. Uh, in the wilderness has been our theme here on Sunday morning. And uh, if wilderness was some sort of concept or abstraction for you before, for me it felt very concrete this week. Um, on Monday afternoon, um, for some reason Aaron and I were both working from home, which was great. And we decided, hey, we'll just go pick up the kids from preschool together. And as we were driving in, we just, we moved out to Lafayette, which has been really great. And as we were driving, as I like to say, into town, uh, through the country, which feels still kind of weird, but great, and yeah, past the cows and such, and I noticed um, police vehicles uh, in moving from different directions. And I thought, well, this, there must be some sort of accident, you know, near off baseline or something. And then we saw another one north in town when we were picking up our kids in North Boulder. And coming back with the kids in the back seat, you know, and they're giggling, they're two and five, they're doing their thing. And I noticed uh, the incident response vehicle from the Boulder Police Department rolling down foothills and a helicopter over South Boulder. I said to Erin, something's not right in our city right now. And so she looked on Twitter and saw that there was um, an active shooter. And, you know, we kind of went into where it's like, okay, we just need to work through the mechanics of an ongoing situation. Maybe that was you too. And that was kind of Monday. You know, it's like, what's going on? We're making dinner, the kids are fighting or whatever. And, oh, when's the press conference? It's hopefully it's just a couple people, right? And um, trying to make sense of the horror in bed that night. And then I woke up Tuesday and just started crying. And I said to Aaron, I feel like we just need to go. I just, we just need to go and, and pray. And so we went, we went to King Supers that morning on Thursday. And, um, you know, just standing there looking at this grocery store that, candidly, I, I'd never shopped at. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Trader Joe's guy. And, um, and not that I have anything against King Supers. I, I, I buy my Tobo Chico there and occasionally red wine vinegar, but because they don't have that at Trader Joe's. But I'm, I'm looking at this place that, that's very familiar. Um, and, you know, Southern Sun, Stan Benjamin and I you have had a lot of beers and fries there. You know, this is a neighborhood I've, it's been close, it's a part of the, the fabric of home. And I, I can't, you know, I'm there with my wife. And I'm, you know, I'm the professional pastor, whatever that means. And Aaron's like, you should pray. I'm like, I can't say anything out loud. You know, I'm looking at the cars in the parking lot. It's like 10 of those cars aren't going to be driven home by the people that came that day themselves. And, um, and, and just, just a sadness. Um, and by the end of Tuesday, we had annex here that night, and, um, and it, was, it was good, it was healthy. But at the end of the night, like, I don't have any tears left. <laughs> I'm going to just be dehydrated if I try, cry one more time. Oh. The wilderness. 
You know, our, our text this morning um, is a poem written to, by a prophet, the prophet Isaiah, written to a people that knew the feeling of crying to the point where there's no tears left in the tear ducts, where we're just at the end of our rope, and we don't know quite how to move through the desperation and the pain of the moment. You know, and our pain right now feels perhaps very acute. These people's pain that as the audience, the original audience of Isaiah 40, their, their pain is long-suffering, exiles in Babylon. And this is what the prophet wrote to these, to these suffering people in the wilderness. This is a beautiful poem, so try first of all just to hear it as a poem rather than a scripture to analyze. It says this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to her towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In this beautiful ancient poem, there's imagery of a disoriented and, and disheartened people who are lost in this wilderness. And then God's voice breaks in. And he says to those folks who, who feel like completely um, removed from any sense of stability and safety and peace, and he says, hear my voice, and I am making a way back. I am leveling all of the things that are in the way for you to return to the place that you belong. It will be clear. It will be easy. It will be safe. Everything will be made flat and clear. There's this expression of confidence in, in God's word that it endures beyond our own humanity. This is not a word for us to just push away, but to hear sincerely. And then the imagery of God, the rescuer, and coming in power, and, and, and coming 
as a shepherd. And in all of it is this promise of God rescuing his people in the wilderness that fits squarely in the larger biblical narrative. This biblical narrative uh, can basically be summarized um, like this, that the Bible starts, the story starts in a garden and ends in a garden. And in between the, 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 the two gardens is wilderness. From the garden, um, we were created for shalom, for peace, to be with the Lord. And when we chose um, our own way, sin, which is uh, one way I think of understanding sin, it's choosing our own way, trusting our own instincts and our own wisdom rather than the Lord's. We suddenly find ourselves outside of who we are and we, out, we find ourselves outside of the company and the presence of the Lord, outside of the garden, into the wilderness. And then the rest of the narrative, the rest of the story of Scripture is God doing His work to bring us back to where we belong, back into a garden. And in the last few chapters of Scripture in Revelation, we see a picture of a garden city where everything's restored. And all along the way is God's intention for us to be restored to that garden. But I think an important question for us to address this morning as we move into this Palm Sunday theme is understanding what is wilderness in the narrative arc. Th that idea of wilderness, I think, can be sort of abstract. And so I'd like to make it a little bit more concrete for us. In Scripture, I think wilderness is pointed to in, in a couple of different ways. They're related, but also distinct. The first is wilderness as an, envir an environment deprived by shalom. Context, circumstance, an environment deprived by shalom. So you might say, I lost my job, I'm going through a divorce, I'm in the wilderness. I'm experiencing like war, famine, a plague. We've been experiencing a plague lately. I feel like I'm in, I'm in the wilderness. <clears throat> now here's the interesting thing about environmental wilderness, is that it seems like God is a lot more comfortable with it than we are. Because in the narrative arc, God seems to always be choosing to lead his people in a way into the teeth of wilderness. And it starts with Adam and Eve. God is the one that removes them from the garden. They do not ask to leave. God says, this is not your space anymore. And he shows, he shows them the door to the wilderness. There's lots to consider about that, but this would be a different sermon. Abraham's descendants find themselves in the wilderness in slavery in Egypt. And then when God brings Abraham's descendants out of Egypt, they find themselves incidentally in the wilderness because that's just what's around Egypt, but then they make choices in which God says, you need more wilderness. And then when the people finally are settled in the land, the Lord says, you don't get it. You need more wilderness. And so he takes them to exile in Babylon, and that's where our passage this morning finds us exile in Babylon. So wilderness as a narrative deprived, or environment deprived by Shalom. But there's, there's another understanding for wilderness that's really important for us that also emerges from Scripture, and that is wilderness as a spiritual condition, that wilderness is the result of our own sin. It's not just a circumstance or a context, it is the consequence, the fruit of our choices. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 9 puts it this way. 
The prophet says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who trusts in themselves, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose hearts turns away from the Lord. That is a picture of sin, my friends. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that, tin, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond care. Who can understand it? So wilderness as the fruit of our own condition of sin. The thing that we create happens to also be wilderness. Sometimes we are victims of other people's wilderness. And it's interesting, I think we're very aware of when we're victims of other people's wilderness. If you're not married, then, then uh, maybe you can't resonate with this, but as a married person, I feel like I'm always the victim of my partner. And that's always because I, I, upon very little reflection. And then when space is created, I recognize, oh, interesting. Um, we're in marriage counseling because of me, much more so than her. But sometimes we are the victims of other people's wilderness. Sometimes we are the ones that are creating wilderness for others as well. Either way, we are always in some state, some type of wilderness as people who are prone to sin. Wilderness as an environmental condition, wilderness as the fruit of our sinful nature. Okay, log that. All along the biblical narrative, God is dropping hints of hope that he will end wilderness once and for all. Okay, and so that brings us to today, Palm Sunday. You're wondering, how are you going to weave this in with Palm Sunday? That's been the challenge, one of the challenges of the week. All right. Palm Sunday actually is a key moment in this biblical arc because the hints, some of the important hints that the Lord is dropping through wisdom literature, through the prophets, is that God would raise up a king from the line of David, the true king of Israel, the Messiah, the anointed one, who would come and restore the kingdom of God, who would come and restore the garden the way that it was supposed to be, who would come to Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of Jerusalem, um, the city of Shalom, the place where the, the, the garden city and he would come and he would restore God's kingdom. And so the Messiah was this clear hope that God would come into the world and deal with wilderness once and for all. And so when the people are singing these messianic songs to Jesus on the day we call Palm Sunday, what they're really saying is, finally, God is going to do something about our wilderness. This long, winding suffering is coming to a close. We can celebrate. Now, I don't understand. I'm not going to explain all the imagery of the palm branches and the donkeys and that sort of a thing, but it's all pointing towards God realizing this moment in the biblical narrative arc. 
And here's what's interesting to me, is that Jesus accepts it. Is that Ken? Is it Ken and Donna? Yeah. They've been, in, they've been in my common space groups, and we're seeing each other in person. This is great. Okay, sorry. It's so encouraging to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Um, awesome. Jesus does not reject this. He comes in and he owns it. He's like, excuse me, guys. He's like, yeah, I, I am the Messiah. Is there anything I can do to be helpful? It's okay. Are we? Great. Awesome. problem, doesn't it? <laughs> Jesus, does, Jesus owns this messianic uh, claim that, that people are offering to him. See, when, the, when Messiah Jesus comes, the true king of Israel, um, there are expectations that those folks who are waving the palm branches have. They expect that King Jesus will do what kings do. When kings enter a city, they come to conquer and establish a new kingdom. Do they not? Have you ever heard of a king that came into a, a city as a new conquering king and didn't establish their own kingdom, right? That's what they do. That's what they're saying to Jesus. In a lot of ways, I think what they're saying is, God, if, if my circumstances would just change, then things would be restored. Messiah Jesus our circumstances here in Jerusalem are pretty rough. We are being occupied by Rome currently. You know, it depends on the century what, what, what nation is occupying us, but here we are suffering. If you would just change our circumstances, then we would be restored. They expect Jesus to fulfill a vision of messianic purpose. But that purpose that they expected and the purpose that Jesus intended are very, very different. And if you are falling asleep, this is the moment to wake up because this is the thesis of my sermon. You hear me, Anita? Thank you, amen. Here is Jesus' messianic purpose. Instead of conquering with power, Jesus transforms our wilderness through his suffering. Well, everyone on that morning was expecting Jesus to come in and take the throne as the true king of Israel, that they could say, there's our king on our throne in our city. Finally, the wilderness is over. The Romans will leave, we'll have our space, and we will be the true city of God. Instead, Jesus comes in with this vision. I'm not coming in to be celebrated any more than I will in this moment. This will be the most credit I get this week. Instead, I am coming to deal with the real wilderness that plagues these people and all people. And in order to do that, I will transform their wilderness through my suffering. I will choose the cross instead of a throne. Instead of being the next David the way they think of David, I will be the Passover lamb. And everybody's clueless. Everybody's clueless about what he's doing. I think often we're clueless too what Jesus is doing and wants to do in our own life. All right, here I am landing the plane. What Jesus, what, this is what Jesus' messianic purpose 
means for us in this room. This is what Jesus' messianic purpose, to transform our wilderness through his suffering, means for us in this room. First, it means this, and most importantly, that this Messiah Jesus has come to suffer for you and for me, to make a way out for us in our wilderness that we have created by our own sin. King Jesus has come for us. See, this, this vision of the, king, the true king of Israel, man, there's a lot of easy sort of pride and celebration to put around. Come on, Jesus, you know, finally I'm on the winning team. Who doesn't like to be on the winning team? Finally, we're on the winning team. Jesus, a source of pride as Messiah. But first and foremost, Jesus needs to be a source of humiliation for us if he is to be who he is as Messiah. Because Jesus has come to take an honest account of the wilderness situation that is plaguing us. And the critical area of wilderness is our hearts, who we are. And so necessary humiliation is recognizing our own depravity and need for a suffering king, not a conquering king. That Jesus looks us in the eye and says, I love you, you are my beloved, I have come to deal with that which you cannot deal with. So that you can have what I have made you for, because I love you. And so this suffering king goes below us, there's imagery in the Old Testament I think is really beautiful. Beautiful is not the right word. It's brilliant because it encapsulates suffering so well. The imagery of the pit. Often the psalmist finds himself in the pit. Jesus comes into our pit. Jesus comes into our own depravity and suffering. The things that we can't, the, the way that we hurt other people, the way that we undermine ourselves. And Jesus comes, and he comes below us in the pit. He becomes dirtier and more mired than even we are in our own sin and transforms that. By the cross, Jesus enters our wilderness and through the resurrection, he secures our way out of it. For now, God's wilderness rescue plan is centrally about dealing with our own sin, not our circumstances. So, Jesus' messianic plan, what that means for us. First of all, it means Jesus has come for us to deal with us in our own critical need. Second and lastly, because Messiah Jesus, because of Messiah Jesus, we become people who also bring transformation into the world through sharing in Christ's suffering. We become people that take up the way of Christ's suffering. James says this, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Man, I, my dad was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher and he was, he was really great at getting us to memorize scripture. He, he bribed us with donuts and, and, and cash. And that was one of the verses I remember learning. And I remember learning it and that doesn't make any sense. This is the way of Jesus. 
To be with Christ is to be where his heart is. To be with Christ is to be where his heart is. And his heart is not just to climb some throne. His heart is at the bottom of the pit, of your pit and your neighbor's pit. Mourn with those who mourn. Blessed are the blank. All the ones who are blessed in the kingdom, do they sound like the sort of people you want to hang out with on a Friday night? Luke's woes. Woe to those who are rich. Those are all the people we want to be with. Jesus is saying, I have come for the, for the woes. The ones that you woe are the ones that I bless. To live Christ's joy is to live Christ's suffering. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a scathing parable about the importance of taking care of the marginalized and suffering in our world. And he doesn't just say do it. He says, when you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me because I identify with those who are at the bottom of the pit. Those who are suffering the most, that's where I am. That's who I am. Our identity becomes ambassadors of reconciliation. We bring the good news to the depths of the wilderness, the deepest places of suffering, the deepest pits. That's who we are. And all the while, we know this. Because of the cross and because of the resurrection, we know this. That no form of suffering in this world not even what happened on Monday. Not even if we were one of the ten on Monday can destroy the hope we have in Jesus. Nothing can destroy the hope that we have in Jesus, our Messiah. Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he, oh man, he brings out worst case scenarios, does he not? Nothing can separate us. Friends, we have the Holy Spirit, which Jesus called the, the advocate, the comforter, the counselor. Nothing can destroy our hope of the gospel. And so friends, we love to be happy, I love to be happy, but here's the honest truth about the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is a path of tears. If we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to become proficient in joy, and we need to become proficient in tears. The psalmist in one, uh, Psalm 126 writes, writes a poem that says um, about the people who will go out crying tears and sowing them in the ground, in the ground and returning a harvest of joy. In a way, I think it's a messianic psalm. But that's who we are. We are people that go out into the world with those who are suffering. Ambassadors of the one who have come for those who are suffering. So that those people would know the hope and the truth of a Messiah who suffers for them and with them. Because we know that those tears will not be cried in vain. Our tears are the seeds of joy that comes with the Messiah Jesus and the final garden. And because of that, we have hope. Our city is suffering right now. 
Let us be reminded of who we are. People who have been died for by the Messiah, who loves us and cares about our own suffering at our own hands. And we are people who are unafraid of suffering because we know it will not destroy us. We are the first responders to suffering in the world. The first ones to get our hands dirty with the, the muck of the pit. We are ambassadors of Christ, children of God. Salt and light. This is who we are and this is our own hope. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you as true king. We praise you as the true king who comes as a slain lamb for us. We praise you. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you, you don't just uh, settle with what we expect from you, but you come um, full of your own wisdom and vision for our own goodness, and you come to suffer and die for us. And Lord, as we learn to follow your way, as we learn to take up your cross, Lord, each day would you teach us and shape us into people who more and more find our joy in sharing in suffering. That we understand that your glory is to be found in our self-sacrifice, in our mourning, in investing in the way that you have invested yourself on the cross. Lord, may that be true about us and may this city of Boulder never be the same because you came on Palm Sunday, you've come into our lives, and we have never been the same. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.